1: wow i could really use current i also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales i guess i'll just go to their website at current.tech
2: transform your home in one weekend with paint from menards get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color dutch boys duraclean interior paint and primer in one offers stay clean technology making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy-opening, smooth-pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy Paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today.
3: Save big money
4: at Menards. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay. Maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case.
3: All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please
4: welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, this is Bennett Kelly from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. Um, We have a great show for you today and I want to thank you for joining us. Please be seated. we're gonna have Cashmere Hill. Um, she returned. She was on our show last fall, and uh, she's one of the net's most influential bloggers and um, blogs with Forbes on the not so private parts. And we're gonna talk about the um, top stories of the year, maybe the cyber person of the year. And then in the second half hour, we're joined by our favorite rascal, Mark Rendaza, um, who'll be um, of the Rendaza Legal Group, who's actually representing. Um, Watson Meng, in the, the lawsuit that um, Boxen has with Zhang Zi And um, we're going to talk a little bit about that and some of his other um, undoings. Um, but um, today is what is known as Repeal Day. It is the anniversary of the repeal of Prohibition. Um, so it's also the anniversary of the launch of the first U.S. nudist organization. So um, grab a cocktail, get naked, and join us. Um, we're going to bring on Kashmir um, Hill in a second, but first I just want to let you know that jazz great Dave Brubeck has died at the age of 91, so we pass along some sad news. But, um, Cashmere, are you with us?
5: Yes, I'm here. Thanks for having me on, Bennett.
4: Oh, it's great to have you back, and um, we're really a really big fan of your blog. And um, so um, i kind of distracted by the uh, Dave Brubeck thing we were talking about earlier. So... Um, You've been doing the not so private parts now for what about three or four years?
5: Yeah, when did I first start it? I think it's been um, since two thousand and nine now. So wow, it
4: goes by quick. And God, before you, were four with, year
5: for four year birthday next year.
4: And you were at Above the Law before that,
5: right? As an editor should, there, writing about should, legal gossip and the law,
4: and there's um, plenty of that, right? <laughs>
5: there
4: is, and still, unfortunately, and um, so we. Um, what I wanted to go over with you um, is really as we start the kind of wind down of 2012 um, what did you see as really being the the big um, stories of the year?
5: Um, Well uh, as we kind of discussed by email the big story for me this year was um, the story by Matt Honan writing for Wired he used to be at Gizmodo Um, the story that he wrote after he got just epically hacked Um, there were some Teenage hackers who got interested in his Twitter account because he had a uh, prestigious uh, three-letter Twitter account—his just his first name um, at Matt M A T. So they decided they wanted to gain control of his Twitter account. So they basically broke into all of his online accounts, um, his Apple, you know, his Apple account. Um, so they got access to his cloud and access to all of his Apple devices, into his Twitter account, into his email, into Gizmodo's Twitter account. Um, And they started, you know, tweeting racist and sexist messages from his Twitter account. And that's how he discovered that he'd been hacked. And then he realized that they'd also, um, his phone stopped working, his laptop stopped working. So then he couldn't even, you know, get around to to fixing the problem. Um, He had a a daughter, I believe, a daughter um, this year. And they deleted all the photos that he had in there. So he, it was just like a, a kind of takeover of his entire life. And I, um, I just thought that the story really got at so many of the issues we have today in terms of control of our online accounts, um, malicious hacking, uh, and then, you know, what these, what these companies do to keep intruders out and then to protect our data and how you recover that data after something like this happens? Um, I just thought it was a really, you know, powerful, powerful story.
4: And, and this comes after Twitter has a consent decree with the FTC over, um, you know, inadequate security for its, its system. I mean, the, I think the uh, the, invest, the FCC investigation was triggered after um, then Senator Barack Obama's account was hacked. And at right. the time, Twitter had no limitation on the number of attempts you could make at a password. Right. You know, so I could be on one million one hundred and thirty-two uh, attempts, and I would still be able to continue. And uh, uh, so it, this is disappointing. This is after the consent decree, and, and still Twitter was being hacked.
5: Right, And the and the Federal Trade Commission has been putting a lot of – Pressure on these companies to in, improve their security, and in this case, you know, I, I don't know that it was Twitter's fault exactly. Um, I mean, we do have this this system built in for human error, where we have a tendency to forget our passwords. I think all of us probably use the password recovery option on our accounts at some point during the year, if not multiple times a year. Um, and, and and it's horrible. I mean, it's horrible. These security questions just aren't aren't really. Um, aren't really useful in an age where we have so much information out there about ourselves. I mean, this keeps happening to celebrities, right? This is how Scarlett Johansson's right. naked photos wound up on the Internet this year because somebody took advantage of the security questions and they were able to find all the answers in, you know, the interviews that she's done. And for a lot of us, you know, we have our mother's maiden name on our Facebook account because we're friends with our mom. <laughs> um, so these questions just aren't really as as useful as they have been. And so that speaks to... What we do about that? Um, if if that kind of system doesn't work anymore for protecting our passwords and protecting our privacy and our security, you know what comes next? And now the conversation is starting to turn to, you know, two-factor authentication, where you verify who you are, you know, by having um, a code sent to your phone, so you know the person holding your phone is probably you, or even you know biometric options like your voice print or a fingerprint, and Google tried that with the Android phone, where you could unlock the phone um, by showing it your face. But the problem was that people took a photo of someone's face and then held up the photo, and that also served to unlock the phone. So it's wow. really coming up. You know, how how do you prevent hackers from finding workarounds for these things?
4: No, I was I was reading that the the uh, government is researching um, using a passwordless system where you're recognized not by an entered password, but by the manner in which you type your keys. That all of us do that to a certain degree somewhat different.
5: Yeah, it's fascinating. There are all these different ways for you know, proving you are who you are, whether it's the way you type, um, you know the way that you walk, you're doing an iris scan, using your iris, fingerprints. Um, it's interesting. I, I, sorry, this just reminded me of another story. I think it was from this year, but um, a uh, another kind of hacker program that you can put on somebody's phone. And so if the phone is near the laptop when they're typing, you can pick up on what their password is by, like, recognizing the keys that they're typing. Um so if you have a a program like that, it seems like that same program could be used to pick up on the way that you type and then and then that system becomes hackable as well um, but it's an interesting attempt <laughs> it is yes and I,
4: I thought it had promise I just figured it's almost like a voice it, it has a cadence and it's not something you know, you can necessarily artificially um reproduce you know okay. I, we all speak in a different manner and a man the manner in which we type. Um, except I'm sure it's <laughs> Oh, if on Android phones or whatever this that, that that one finger type touch that might be <laughs> may not be that terribly unique. But and um,
5: and then some of the ways into our accounts are just you know through these companies themselves. They have if you call in, um, they have help desk employees. I mean, if you're lucky, I think many a person has tried to reach Facebook and isn't able to reach anyone human. But if you have um, an account with somebody where they can actually talk to a help desk person, there's you know, a lot that can that, that can be done with social engineering. Um, so how do you train employees to recognize that, that it's somebody who's calling and phishing for information and trying to break into an account? And that's where I wonder if there'll be more pressure from the government um, put on these companies, not just to build you know, secure infrastructures online, but to, to make sure that their employees aren't, aren't going to you know, sell someone out um, so easily when I, someone I, calls and claims to be the person, the account holder for that, for that particular account.
4: I, I went to this website, um, to test how strong your password is. And, um, and oh, no. so Did,
5: I, you gave this website your password?
4: No, I didn't actually. I just typed in, um, the word password
5: mm-hmm.
4: and, and you know, surprise, surprise. It said it was you know, extremely weak. And, um, and so, um, And then I typed in password1, and it's like, okay, it's still weak. And then I typed in, um, I made it, um, you know, password um, hashtag1. And all of a sudden, it started getting into the mid-range. And then I made it a capital P on the password. And all of a sudden, now we're getting, you know, above, you know, kind of the 50% mark. And then I added another digit. And now all of a sudden, I'm at a reasonably safe password you're adjusted and you know, making four changes from the word password.
5: Yeah. Um, again, I don't know how how good those systems are in, in terms of telling us that this is a good password or this is not a good password. True.
4: Anything with the word password probably is
5: not good. It's probably not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that probably the system should have something built into it where it recognizes that password is, is in the password and it should always tell you that's a horrible password. Um, but every time you you know every time we have one of these data breaches where people 's passwords are exposed when they yeah, people always comb through and you know do these word clouds and do uh, evaluations of the passwords and and people are still using password as their password or're still using you know one two three, four five six as a password um, so well, actually, even
4: you use forty. and at first I thought, wow, that sounds like a difficult password and then I looked down at my keyboard and keyboard and so are q w e r Right. <laughs> okay, I know where that comes from.
5: <laughs> I mean, people are, are still are still doing this. And, um, you know, sometimes it's because they don't care about that particular account. So this was the case when, when Gawker had its data breach. A lot of people had these passwords. And maybe it's because people who are signing up for Gawker, you know, don't really care that much about whether their Gawker account gets hacked. Um, but hopefully they're not doing the same thing for, for more sensitive sites.
4: The other thing that the, that the story kind of triggered for me was that um, one is, is the vulnerability is, issue of being you know being hacked, but the second was the the uh, surprising impermanence of the web, and how very quickly you know things that we put up there that we we'll think will be able to you know, have access for years and years and years all of a sudden is gone. Whether it's gone because it um, was deleted or it's gone because the the company went out of business.
5: Yeah, this is a really interesting um, wrinkle because I'm, you know, I write a lot about privacy and, and reputation online and I'm always telling people there is no delete button on the Internet, that once something is up there or out there, it's really, um, it's really hard to get rid of it. Um, and this comes up a lot when people have something, some negative information out there about themselves. But then there is that flip side um, where what if something does disappear that you wanted to keep? Um, and this happened. This has happened a couple of times. It also happened with uh, uh, James Fallows in the Atlantic. His wife's Gmail account got hacked, and the hacker deleted all of her information. Um, and, and Google told them, "Sorry, like you can't get that back." But then James Fallows had, you know, a good friend at Google, and so called and, and worked that connection, and they were able to get a lot of her email back. Um, but for a normal user, that wouldn't have been possible. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of questions as as we increasingly. You know, store our information in the cloud instead of on our computers. Um, will that will that information remain? Um, will it be protected? You know, what happens if it does disappear? Uh, and I think we're still we're still figuring that out. We're we're very much in the early stages. Um, there's been a big push in the tech community for for data portability, so that you can easily download your data from Facebook or from Google or from you know whatever party and move it around. And some people, some companies are okay with that, and others are resistant because they want to just
4: you know keep you. They want to control it. Yeah. Exactly. But um, I think there is you know, f- uh, you know I I couldn't tell you the last time I physically printed a photograph, but. The f- Only for my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the issue. I mean, and can you, what would happen and, and plus I'll, I've loaded a lot of the, my photographs from the past and uh, and so just the, the thought of having you know, having that completely wiped out or not being able to access it, you know, that's I, a difficult.
5: This, yeah, this has happened to me. I have an external hard drive that I keep all of my photos on now and usually I keep them in a second case uh, or in a second place. But at one point, my hard drive—it um, uh, must have gotten corrupted—and so I lost a bunch of photo albums. And some of them I found were on Flickr, and some were on Facebook. But some photos I just have completely lost, and I don't get them back. And so um, it was—I was sad about it. There's also a preciousness to the fact that that's just in now in my memory. Um, you know, there are these trips that I took to foreign countries that um, are, are just in my head, and. Um, I, I there's something about that I kind of like, uh, but well, it so is, remember, it's troubling.
4: I remember reading that actually, the, one of the um, pluses and the downsides of photographs in in terms of our memory is that if we do something and then we take a photograph of it, our memory tends to become the photograph, right? And not necessarily the other stuff around it. And uh, for some reason, because I guess we we look at that multiple times, and it reinforces <clears> that. I think in our, that's how it operates in our memory, and
5: uh, it begins it begins to define the history for us. Yeah, I think that's and, and with childhood, you know, there are a lot of photos from my childhood where I have memories around the photo, even though there's no way I I can remember that period. I was too young, but I I've I've basically built a memory around the fact that there's you know a photo of me as a little kid having put chocolate frosting on my face and then taking my dad's razor and shaving it off. Um, I now remember that that happened, but I know that's not possible. I must have just seen the photo and, like, created the memory around the photo.
4: Um, that is interesting. Um, we're going to take a short break when we come sure. back of Kashmir Hill, and um, we'll be talking about the top stories of 2012 after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report.
2: I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com.
3: How much time do you spend on SEO research and competitor analysis? What if we told you
2: that there was an easier, faster way? Searchmetrics SEO software
1: propels
5: you to top positions on search engines around the world with our unique global search, social, and competitive data in over 60 countries. Gain a competitive advantage today with Searchmetrics.com. That's Searchmetrics.com. Searchmetrics.com.
3: Hi there, this is Victor
0: Pitts. I'm the host of Domain Masters, and I want to wish you each a very happy holiday. Merry
3: Christmas, Happy New Year, and again, may you each be the master of your domain.
1: From all of us to all of you, webmasterradio.fm. Wishing you happy holidays and a prosperous new year.
3: The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on webmasterradio.fm.
4: And we're back with Kashmir Hill, and we're talking about the top stories and the top people of 2012. And uh, we, I posted a, a survey um, form on my um, the show blog, which is radio dot WordPress, and um, the uh, the results are kind of more akin towards. Uh, I guess you might compare it to Dixville Notch, <laughs> in uh, in New Hampshire, that early voting place that has like maybe a dozen or so responses. But um, so far, the uh, in terms of man of the year or person of the year, um, we got Ron Senator Ron Wyden um, has a couple of votes, and uh, he's at two thirds. Um, um, for his role in blocking SOPA and CISPA. And then there's um, Hamadun Toure, the head of the ITU, um, who has one vote um, in, the, in this this as Man of the Year. And then on terms of top stories, it's split between the defeat of SOPA
5: and Internet censorship.
4: Um, what are your thoughts Guys, yeah, right?
5: the defeat of SOPA was very interesting. Um, I mean, for the whole for the whole year, we've been talking about potential privacy bills, and then SOPA, PIPA just kind of came out of nowhere uh, to deal with internet piracy. And uh, a lot of people, when they were writing about it, kept accidentally writing privacy, and I felt like part of the reason. Um, uh, they, they kept writing that these were bills to fight Internet privacy. And I think it's just because everyone had been so used to writing about privacy. But the defeat there was, was very interesting. I mean, the mobilization of resources on the web um, was, was pretty incredible. It made me wonder about what the reaction would have been earlier on to earlier leg- legislation like the um, Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Uh, a lot of people complain about that these days, but I don't know how many kind of active internet activists were paying attention when that was originally passed. But I wonder if it would have been would have been harder with the kind of attention that internet bills are starting to draw. Same right. thing with CISPA. Yeah, it Just you know, so many people acting. Some of the and and I think for me, what was crucial about SOPA/PIPA was that the big internet companies got involved, Google. You know, Facebook were talking about it, and they were opposed to it. So it wasn't just a bunch of people on the Internet clicking buttons. You did have these big tech companies that were opposed to these bills, and I do think that that helped um, uh, in terms of getting those, you know, pushed to the side and, and not getting passed.
4: You know, it, it was an interesting moment in from for me, from my perspective, because – I've seen, you know, both having been in-house with different companies and then having gone to a lot of these forums, you know, I've seen kind of the um, almost indifference that in the past Silicon Valley has had towards Washington. And to, and also the, the um, lack of mobilization maybe it, it has in terms of Washington. And then to see all of a sudden it come out of the, you know, the... The bushes and flex its muscle was you know, was, was incredible.
5: Um, yeah, I get the sense that these tech companies are paying more attention. They are they're expanding their DC offices. They're spending a lot, you know, relatively. They're spending more money when you compare them to you know other industries. It's still it's still very small in terms of lobbying dollars, but they are you know ramping it up and and hiring more people here. And I I think you're starting to see that in terms of how legislation is. Um, uh, kind of evolving and how people are reacting to it so I, I I, went, go sorry. ahead no, go ahead. I was going to change the subject, so we should stay on this one. no, I was just saying i, I should
4: recall, and i 've mentioned this before going to a um, one of the this, uh, an event called Tech Policy Summit, and I believe it was two thousand seven two thousand and eight, and where one of the participants bragged about not paying attention to Washington. And you know just the fact that <laughs> and, and you know and I always tell people um, yeah I hope you think your congressman's bright, and because um, that's that's a good thing, but you know if you 're not talking to that your congressman, that person could be setting your business plan, and so you, you better get engaged, and I just learned that just from you know, having an in having a bill almost passed that would have outlawed um um html without them knowing that that's what they were doing and so it, it's important that you get engaged and so i've always been kind of an evangelist on that point but i'm sorry what's the, what was the next thing you want to go over
5: yeah i think it would be helpful if we had more congress people who are familiar with internet there there are a couple ron wyden is certainly one um but it would be helpful if there were more. Well, I was just going to, another big story this year um, that's gotten a lot of attention, but also hasn't gotten a lot of attention at the same time, is Kim.com and shutting down mega uploads. And uh, I think this is a really interesting one in terms of, um, the, you know, uh, law enforcement, the government being able to shut down an internet business um, without actually finding someone guilty of something. I mean, mega upload, it really imploded. Um, just because they seized the assets, you know, arrested Kim.com um, and, and shut the business down. Uh, and at this point, you know, he hasn't been found guilty. Um, I found that really disturbing. I, Eric Goldman um, did a lot of writing on this. Yes, uh, yeah.
4: And what, was, what I found interesting about this is, it, one is you have a, a kind of a, a broader story developing of, what is it, you know, several hundred um you know, domains that have been you know, shut down at a time, um, you know, and, and, you know, many of them are relatively anonymous, but, you know, there have been some instances where, you know, domains have been shut down, like, was it Jazzy 2Z? Mm-hmm. Um, it was shut down for 18 months or something without ever, ever really being found to have done anything. And um, and so you have all these shutdowns. And what Mega Upload did was um, give a, a really good a launching pad for discussing it. Because um, you had this, you know, outrageous person, Kim. dot com. I mean, who changes your name to com? <laughs> yeah. um, He's larger you know, than
5: life in in so many different ways. <laughs>
4: right. It was central casting. And uh, in fact, I think the term in Hollywood would be that it was, um, you know, over the top. You know, in terms of uh, how how techy he was, he was, and with a name like .com, but it, it does. But it definitely gives the vehicle to really talk about, you know, how, how and when should we be able to shut sites down and you know, seize them. And then what was disappointing was the government's response to the the people who were legitimate users of mega it and wanted to get their material. The government initially wasn't that um, responsive to those concerns.
5: Yeah, there's kind of like, sorry, you're out of luck.
4: <laughs> yeah.
5: Which
4: is and, crazy. I mean, um, and yeah, those, I mean, those are businesses. I mean, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why people use those services. I mean, they they, they allow, um, particularly in the entertainment, they they allow large files to be transferred relatively easily, which also are just the type of files that um, you know, um, Senator, former Senator Dodd at the, um, the Motion Picture Association wants to stop.
5: Yeah, I mean, I I think if you overlay this on the real world, if the government were to go in and, you know, just seize a store or seize, you know, all of a store's assets um, and to move in and to basically set up shop there, um, people would be outraged by that. But the fact that they're doing the same thing online, like seizing domains, seizing websites, um, ceasing their operation, uh, I don't think it's getting the same level of attention um, or inspiring the kind of debate that we should probably be having about this
4: right and, and it usually just comes with the, you know a, a press release that we've seized you know hundred some domains and you right. know and even really a full description of what they are and um, and then it has that that nice little logo in <laughs> justice department Is
5: yeah, yeah. The ice this this website has been iced
4: yes. They should do see if they can get the um, the, you know, the ice ice baby. Um, <laughs> going play at. that
5: video, really <laughs> like the Rick roll of uh, domain seizures. But um, it, I think um, it
4: it does raise a question as to um, you know what is the authority and when can it be exercised, right. and and then what is the oversight for it and the remedy, you know, for the of the wrongful exercise of it.
5: And what is your legal recourse? If your domain, like with the DeJazz 1, DeJazz 2 example, you know, what is your recourse when you've been seized and you did nothing wrong? Um, In that case, yeah, I mean, they just, they couldn't use their site for, I think you said 18 months. It was such a long period of time. And finally, they just kind of gave it back and there was no um, kind of acknowledgement of of that or um, uh, remuneration for that.
4: And you know, I'm going to give away my age somewhat, but I remember from the '80s there was someone in the um, the Reagan administration, and there was a big 60 Minutes profile on him about his you know his supported ties to organized crime, and um, you know he, he was forced to step down, and he was indicted and and ultimately acquitted. And so um, I think he was a labor secretary or transportation secretary, Donovan. And when he when he was acquitted, he just you walk know, walked right through the, the reporter crowd to the microphone and said, "Okay, I won. You know, so what window? Where do I? What line do I have to get in to get mm-hmm. my report back?" And you know, the problem is, is you know, it's front page news when it's all about you being a crook, but um, <laughs> right. it's a front. For uh, oops, we were wrong, and that's that's the media. And um, you know what about the justice department? You know, and, and the name itself suggests there should be something um, more available.
5: Seems like it.
4: <laughs> so um, we have um, just a few minutes left. What do you think is going to be the big thing for next year?
5: Oh, what is coming? um You know, for me, it's going to continue to be privacy issues, Um, uh, people becoming more and more aware of the degree to which they're tracked and the digital trails they leave behind in terms of, you know, phone trails, location, history. Um, Heading into 2013, we're talking about updating um, email privacy law. Uh, because when the electronic communication privacy act was first passed in the 1980s um, the way the email worked was different and so some of the uh, the law is really outdated basically anything in the cloud after six months uh, no longer requires um, a warrant to get access to it and so this um, is something that a lot of privacy advocates are, are troubled by and that you and i should be troubled by since we leave all of our email um, in Gmail for years and years and years and don't downlo- download it to our computer anymore. And so this came up around the David Petraeus uh, scandal, which is probably one of the biggest cyber stories of the year as well. Um, and uh, you know, pa- Senator Patrick Leahy is pushing for an update um, to that law and it passed out of the Judiciary Committee and that's going to be going to the Senate and the House. So um, we'll definitely be watching that one and 2013 could mark the year that we get warrant protection around our email again
4: the, the, the challenge in this area just always seems to be as the, the internet has grown and it's become more complex there's just so many more players at the table that it takes longer to get you know, anything accomplished um, that's what we're seeing in privacy especially yeah. but I want to thank you very much for joining us and um, I'm particularly giving your cough but um, if people want to find your blog what's the best place to go?
5: Um, it's forbes.com slash Hill, or if you google the not so private parts that might take you there or it might take you somewhere more scandalous
4: <laughs> and tell us either way <laughs> <laughs> so thank you again and happy holidays it's been a pleasure having you well, everyone Cashmere Hill one of the top bloggers on the internet today and it's always a pleasure
5: yeah thanks for having me on again Bennett
4: thank you we're going to take a short break and um, when we come back we're going to have the legendary Mark Rindaza the doctor Lind- to talk about his case um, involving Boshan and um, Zhang Zhe after these messages. Stay
3: tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
2: Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is 40
0: Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs.
1: Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now.
0: Hi, this is Glenn Engler, CEO of Digital Influence Group and your host on Market Edge, wishing you and yours a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, and a happy 2012.
1: From all of us to all of you, WebmasterRadio.fm, wishing you happy holidays and a prosperous new year.
3: The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
4: And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly for the second segment of Cyber Law and Business Report, and we have the the legendary um, Gloucester kid, Mark Rendaza of the Rendaza Legal Group, who's uh, been one of the leading pioneers in First Amendment law, and particularly dealing on the Internet, at least. And uh, Mark, are you with us? I'm with you. It is great to have you back, and it was great to see you in Las Vegas last week. Um, Mark is based in Las Vegas, and uh, he... You have a very interesting case actually involving one of our favorite guests, Watson Meng. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, well, Watson Meng, for for people who don't know who he is, he is the driving force behind Boshun News Service, which is spelled B-O-X-U-N, which is a Chinese dissident wire service. Uh, He is the Internet equivalent of that guy with the paper bag who stood in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square. Uh, he has a network of journalists and sources in China that smuggle the one thing that's pretty hard to smuggle out of China, and that is free information. Uh, this is this is essentially the uh, you know the Radio Free China on the internet. And he's and, uh, you know he's he's done this at great expense to himself, and that uh, you know gives gives his time to it free of charge, and spends. You know, really, it, it, it puts him in a position of being constantly under attack by the Chinese authorities. But he's, you know, true to form, he, he came to the United States as a student uh, with very little in the way of political aspirations and very little in the way of uh, really any thought of being uh, a free speech warrior. He got here, and he really is the, the, the emotional American dream. He gets to the United States. He starts to see what it is like to live in a free society and realizes that he's got to be part of bringing that to China, and that was his inspiration for starting Boshan News Service. So uh, he's really, you know, I get to represent a lot of people that I really like. Uh, I really get to meet people that inspire me, but i tell you, uh, Watson Meng is... Uh, he's one of my heroes not just one of my
4: clients and we we were glad to have him we had him on the show just about 2 months ago okay. now and, and watson actually you know he broke one of a major story in China this year involving one of the, the top um you know governors of of in, in one of the regions who was on the fast track to be in the upper echelons of Chinese leadership and it it seems that since he's done that he's been um, I, I've been calling him public frenemy number one in China. In that, apparently, everyone in the Chinese government likes to read his blog just because of you know, the information. But they're, they're very angry, and actually, um, they tried to shut down his blog. Um, they, they attacked his hosting companies, didn't, didn't they?
0: Yeah, there's there have been uh, cyber attacks on his site. The you know the the Great Firewall of China tries to keep him out, but. You know, people, ultimately, information wants to be free. And when you're sharing information like he does, uh, people, people even behind the most uh, totalitarian dictatorships find a way to get that information. So, and, you know, this is a, a classic tale of a, a journalist speaking truth to power and a journalist embarrassing those in power. Well, you know, if you're embarrassed by the truth, that's a little bit too bad for you. And that's and a, that's a tradition that he learned when he got here and, and that we
4: as Americans inspired him to. And one of the embarrassing things he's done is he's, um, posted a story involving the actress shang Zi, um, who most Americans know through Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and, um, uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, um, and said that you know, basically that she was um, getting money from the party in return for um, you know sexual favors and it's not and, exactly what he reported uh, okay it 's more accurate that
0: you know he reported when you look at his articles I mean i 've only looked at translations of them, so understanding them in the original Mandarin is right. beyond my capability, but the translations i've seen are reporting that she has had a number of boyfriends in influential positions and who are quite wealthy and has received a lot of gifts from them uh, in the United States you know we we don't even think twice about that uh, you're in in Los Angeles if if you reported that a well-known actress had uh, was I mean, I don't know if anybody in, in, in Hollywood is sleeping with anybody out of romance. It's like the medieval times there, uh, where it, it seems like it, everybody's screwing everybody for, uh, for more for what it does for them politically and for their career and financially. Um, so, you know, I'd, I, I don't really think that if anybody said that this was going on in Bollywood or if this was going on in the film industry in France or if this was going on anywhere else, it would raise an eyebrow. Uh, and, in fact, there are reports from people much more culturally fluent in the way things go in China who have said that when he reported that, everybody in China sort of shrugged their shoulders and said, yeah, big deal, what, what do you expect? Now, how, how do you think you get to the top in China as a, in the film industry?
4: And, so, but, but she's brought a lawsuit. You,
0: you know, uh, she has. She then brought a defamation suit against Mr. Meng in Los Angeles, claiming that he called her a prostitute. Right. And, you know, so far, in the way I read this case, in the way I read the articles, it seems to me the only person saying that is, uh, are, are her own attorneys and her own publicists. And, and uh, it's I myself am, am finding it difficult to see anywhere where he has said that. Now, other people picked up on the story after that, and started repeating it, but it seems to me that this, you know, this word prostitute uh, is not a not an adjective he ever used for her. Right.
4: But it seems to me this and is a classic so, case of the Streisand complex, where, or Streisand syndrome, uh, whichever it's called. That, um, Streisand effect, yes. Stre- yeah, where she basically, uh, a story uh, that you know, may have had some minor traction at one point here in the U.S. and, you know, definitely in China now is being published throughout the in entertainment press because you have you know, Gen Z filing in lawsuit here and using the word prostitute, which hadn't been used.
0: Yeah, putting on my public relations hat and taking off my lawyer hat, uh, I don't know that it was the best tactical maneuver to file it because the story itself was really about Chinese politicians behaving badly, not so much about her Uh, you know Mr. Meng is is uh, not very impressed by celebrity uh, doesn't really have a gossip section in his publication Uh, this happened to be an interesting detail that that he reported on Uh, I think that had the lawsuit not happened, uh, the mention of her probably would have, yeah, would have been relegated to the to, to being forgotten in the larger scandal, which is the political scandal running through the entire communist leadership. Now, I mean, you've got you've got crazy intrigue going on there with this guy's wife murdering a British businessman, poisoning him in a in a yes. hotel room. Um, you know, purges, Forcing his resignation. Purges. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's really the story um and and I think that this, you know, in, in in my public relations opinion, this lawsuit has changed the focus of how everybody else is looking at the story into what has she been doing. And I think that's uh that's unfortunate because uh, you know, I don't really understand why I mean this happens a lot, you know, just in general where whenever anybody asks me, will you file a defamation suit on my behalf? Right. I say the first thing I want you to do, and I give them some names of some publicists and some public relations people, is I say I want you to call them and ask them what they can do for you for one-tenth of what I can do for you as your attorney. And if you come back and you still think it's, you better, you're better off spending $100,000 on me bringing a defamation claim for you, Then ten thousand dollars on public relations spin. Well, then all right, come back and I'll uh, I'll give you my wire instructions. There you go. And you know, I some of the most satisfying uh, moments in my career are when I get a phone call from one of those people six weeks later, who says, you know, thank you very much. You 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 could very easily have taken my hundred grand. And, uh, and and I don't know where I'd be right now, but now the story's buried, the good PR is out there, and I spent 10000 bucks with your friend who runs the PR agency. And, right. and I feel great about that because they've combated bad speech with good speech, and in the end, the marketplace of ideas makes its decision, and that person's reputation is repaired uh, without any violence being done to the First Amendment and without any violence being done to
4: their reputation because I come after it with some ham-fisted lawsuit. It's interesting though, um so why would they go ahead and, and do it then um is this in her interest or is this in the party's interest that really that, that she pursue this you know i i until
0: I have a chance to start deposing people in the case uh, i you know I can only speculate on what their motivations might be uh, I do not think you know in my professional opinion, I don't think it's been in her best interest uh, but there may be other interests going on behind the scenes that I don't know about, and uh, or you know who knows. Her her lawyers might have sat, sat her down and said, "This is a really bad idea," the, the, but we'll do it for you if you insist. And she might have said, "Well, I insist." I mean, I really, I can't know, but in hindsight, I don't think uh, it was a good move. Now, is she doing? Is it in the party's interest? Uh, yeah, it really is. If now that doesn't mean that she's. Working for the Communist Party, or or anything like that, there, I'm, I have no evidence that there's any collusion of any kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know that doesn't mean it isn't uh, it isn't it isn't unfortunate for the cause of you know, if if you care about freedom in China, you would look at her lawsuit as being counter to your beliefs. Um, it is really unfortunate to see. Of all the news agencies that reported on this, of all the places that published this story, in fact, places that published far more vituperative stories and included what I think to be more arguably defamatory statements, um, she hasn't gone after any of them. The the only sources that she's going after is Apple Daily in Hong Kong and Boshan News here in the United States, both of whom just you know coincidentally
4: at this point happened to be thorns in the side of the CCP and the the timing is you know right before they have the party congress um you know right after the reporting on the major scandals and you know it's a good time to punish someone it's a good time to you know put something else on the news other than the scandals that, that were leading up to the congress Look, at this point, I'm going to just say it's all coincidental because I don't, you know, I don't
0: have any facts sure, to the contrary, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't wanna, I don't want to unnecessarily poison the well because the, you know, what we know as a fact, uh, what we know as facts, make this bad enough. Uh, so if there's, if there are additional facts that make it even worse, well, then, you know, that just, it's going to damage my uh, faith in humanity. So. I'd, I'd rather think this is just an ill-advised defamation suit than think that this is a an ill-advised defamation suit with darker motivations.
4: And, and right now, you're in the process of filing or a slap motion, or has it ever been filed? We did file an anti-slap
0: motion, and uh, you know, if, if your readers uh, care about the nerdy elements of civil procedure, it's kind of a neat situation because in if you file that in state court in California, the entire uh, lawsuit stops, uh, and then the court decides whether there is a freedom of speech issue in play. I think that's pretty clear here. And then whether there is a good chance that the plaintiff can win. And what's nice about it in, federal, in state court is that that means that there are, there's no discovery, and the defendant doesn't have to spend any money after they file their anti-slap motion. Right and then they can get whatever money they spent back. In federal court, it doesn't stop everything from moving forward. So we've had depositions. Uh, We've had five deposition sessions so far, um, including two with an expert and three with Mr. Meng. And we're going to have some more with other experts coming up. And uh, the hearing... Is uh, keeps getting put off because of discovery purposes. But uh, our next hearing in it is in is scheduled to be in Los Angeles on the 25th
4: of January. Well, wow, that's a way is of off. And have you been able to depose Zi? Um, I
0: have not, uh, and I, I haven't yet asked for that. You know, I don't I don't want to have. Uh, well, I don't want to discuss our strategy, but uh, let's just. No, I understand uh, entirely. I was we, just curious. Yeah, um, yeah no, we, but we haven't. No, we have not
4: deposed her yet. So, um, and what has been the reaction um, you've been getting elsewhere uh, in terms of the uh, the followers of this lawsuit? Well, the uh, you
0: know the. The, there is a, a really a split in it. You know, there are people who are fans of Zhi who feel that this is unfair. Uh, now, unfortunately, I think that they are, you know, what they're reviewing is their belief in what was said because of what's said in the lawsuit, not right. what actually was said.
4: Now, um, you know, we were talking earlier with um, Kashmir Hill about the top stories of 2012 and... Um, hmm. And we have a a little survey on our blog. And um, so far, excuse me, last I checked, about 50% said the top story was Internet censorship. Because we we saw it in a number of places. It was a broad
0: matter? Yes.
4: Yeah. As a, an ongoing uh, problem, you know, from China to Syria to, you know, to elsewhere, that 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 is an ongoing, you know, st- concern and, and state action. And then, plus, you had all the pressure over Google to take down the, um, you know, the innocence of Muslims, um, or excuse me, the innocence of Islam video as well, and that you know, that kind of raised the specter of, um, you know, the censorship question. Right.
0: Well. You know, censorship takes a number of different forms. Uh, uh, A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of going and speaking on some panels in Singapore. And uh, Singapore is a really nice place. Just to tell you, it makes America look like a third world country when you go there. Uh, It also has a very strong lockdown on information, free speech, and the political process. It doesn't do it the ham-fisted way that they might do in some Middle Eastern countries or you know other less, less advanced countries. Nobody's going to kick down your door in the middle of the night in Singapore and drag you away and shoot you and dump your body in an alley. Uh, the Singaporeans have figured out that it's a lot more civilized and just as effective, and it doesn't look as bad on the world stage when you just sue somebody into bankruptcy over presumed defamation. Uh, Mm. now in or alleged defamation and the definition of defamation in singapore is a heck of a lot broader than it is here and here we have a, a commitment to wide open and robust debate that means that public figures have to take it a little more than the than us little people right but in singapore they look at it the other way they say if you're a public person your reputation and your persona is worth more Therefore, there's a heightened standard when somebody's somebody rather than somebody being nobody. Uh, That is a very, you know, that's very convenient for people who are already wealthy or in power because it helps them to preserve that. Um, And I think that around the world and, heck, even in this country, you you see more and more of that. Um, here in the united states that's that's a growing problem uh, I think especially in states that don't have anti slap statutes um, if you look at say uh, you know i I'm licensed in five states I practice all over the country and if you look at my work dealing with defending defamation suits, almost eighty percent of it is in Florida <laughs> why do you think that is i mean you know Florida is a uh Florida's a blight, and uh, it's a, it's a, it still thinks that it's a plantation back before the Civil War and, and doesn't like it when the little people get uppity and want to criticize powerful and wealthy people. And it's, uh, it's really unfortunate because when somebody calls me and says, I got sued for defamation, and I say, okay, what court's it pending in? And they say, it's in Florida and it's in state court. Uh, I, I groan. Uh, when they say it's in California, I say, well, i got good news for you, or Washington, or Oregon, or even Texas. You know, Texas has just passed a really great anti-slap statute. Um, so shame on you, Florida. When Texas is more socially advanced than you uh, and more protective of free speech than you, uh, your state that deserves to be mocked. So, Mar- yeah, I mean, Part of the reason I drive uh, a car that gets nine miles to the gallon is because I don't really care about global warming until Florida gets
4: its free speech act together. So, Mark, um, we have uh, only just like a minute or so left. If people want to l- learn more about you and your practice, uh, where, where, where would you like them to go? Uh,
0: well, the, my, my website is purposely limited because I don't want to have too much information on it, but uh, if you, you can go to my blog, The Legal Satiricon. Uh, that's at LegalSatiricon.com or randaza.wordpress.com.
4: And Mark I think you might join me in well, welcoming or congratulating a certain someone on getting his Medicare card um having turned 65 today and that is Jim Plunkett um former Patriots Oh Patriot. really? Um yes today is his 65th birthday and I, I actually met him way back when when the, when the Patriots really sucked and you could just like walk on the field and um you know and- out with the guys after practice and uh, I remember I asked him for his autograph and he said, kid, do you got a pen? I said, no <laughs> he said, you got any paper? And I said, no, and he said, maybe next time so um, that's all uh. I got it. So, until next time um, um, we well, thank you Mark for joining us and happy birthday to Jim Blunkett, um, everyone enjoy Repeal Day and uh, thank you for joining us, quarters adjourned, we will be back um, next week For another Cyber Law and Business Report, this is Bennett Kelly um, from Santa Monica, California, saying thank you. Um, Download our mobile app and uh, listen to us um, on the road. And have a great week. See you then. Thanks.
1: This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program as well as our complete library of programs on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm The opinions expressed on this program